Good morning, all. So I'm glad all of you here have survived the deluge that we had. Uh, I was at a wrestling tournament on the way home last night, and um, part of the freeway, I was telling Mark, just uh, there was water rushing right through, and we had to cross it. And uh, felt like Moses, but not not really. It wasn't really that dramatic, but um, glad that you're all here, and I'm glad that we have a building today. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. Uh, we do have some visitors here. Uh, Micah, can I embarrass you a little bit? Just maybe you could in, invite, I mean, um, introduce your family. Uh, he's a new friend. I just met him today. So go ahead, Micah. All right. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. Mm. Would you turn in your scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 16? We finally finished today. <laughs> Woo! Praise the Lord. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Why don't we ask the Lord for some guidance and some strength that we would grow? Father, we pray. Lord, it's just so good to bless you, to praise you. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins are many. His mercy is more. God, even as a Christian, as we grow and we learn each morning, we need to know that gospel more and more every morning. I need to hear it again and again and again. And so, Father, even as our appetites have been whetted with your gospel, we pray, Lord, that it would move us to action, to live, to speak, to proclaim this great Christ who we love. We ask, Father, that you would help the preaching of the word, that you would pierce our hearts with the truth of it, that it would move us to action, move us to repentance. Move us to belief and trust. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Visible love. Visible love. Oftentimes, many pastors might skip over these last few words, but I thought we could glean from it and see what God would, have, would tell us. And so, brothers and sisters, as the book of Corinthians ends... And Paul, by the Holy Spirit, encourages the church to not have factions, to stop suing each other, to stop committing immorality. This was a church with problems. And he tells them, as we saw from last week, if you notice in verse 14, before we get to our text, you recall the imperatives he gives us. Verses 13, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And verse 14, this all-encompassing imperative, he says, let all that you do be done in love. This is not born out of a vacuum. This love is not something that we conjure up ourselves or even with our own willpower that we would grab ourselves by our own bootstraps and say, hey, I'm going to love 
Rather, it is a love that has been born out of someone who believes in the gospel. It is a love that has been preached and proclaimed, that Paul proclaims, that not only saves, but sanctifies. It is a love that is, has its bedrock in the resurrection, as we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it is a love that moves to action. Brothers and sisters, love always has its exhibition in our outward lives. And so, verses 15 to 24 are this outflow of verse 14. They are the tangible, the visible ways love is expressed in a healthy church. And as we have seen last week, many times we come to the subject of love. It's always, if you notice this, Paul just comes back to love. You thought he left in 1 Corinthians 13, but love is the gel that keeps us together, isn't it? If you have these dry principles of biblical application without love, there is no odor of Christ. There is no beauty fragrance of Christ. And so now, he says, as we've looked back many times, the subject of love, particularly love in the body of Christ, we, if we come to the text, we would come with wrong notions. If we come from our unregenerate selves before we were saved and we say, okay, this is what I think love is or this is what music tells me what love is or this is what the media tells me what love is. We are going to look at the text and we're going to apply it wrongly. As we said before, you have to jettison that and rather let God define what love is. Biblical love. Perhaps we get it from our upbringing or simply because we have another definition of unbiblical love. But here, true biblical love which maintains and nourishes true biblical fellowship always have these elements of grace and truth. Being gracious and being truthful. One without the other is not biblical love. Truth without grace, grace without truth. So Christ gives this motivation and instruction on how to love in his redeemed body, the local church. You notice it doesn't stay in this undefined mist, this undefined amorphous cloud. When it stays undefined, brothers and sisters, how can it be practiced? Do you understand? Oh, love is a feeling. Love is what I have in my heart. Love is when, when uh, uh, it's this nice ethereal feeling. If it stays undefined, how can it be practiced? And Paul doesn't leave it out there for us to kind of simply feel, but rather it is defined. Remember how it's defined? Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into an account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Okay, I got that. I mean, I hear it at the wedding, right? You go to weddings, they read 1 Corinthians 13, but nobody speak, talks about the gift of tongues and how to exercise it, right? You ever, you ever notice they stop, right? Because it's about love in the church, really is. That's real, truly what it is. And so now we come to this text. How does this look visibly and tangibly? 
Let's get to brass tacks. How does the rubber meet the road? He says in verses 15 to 24, would you read with me? He says, Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, and that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit in yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Prisca, greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. How, is it, how does it look? How is it to be lived out? My prayer this morning is that the word would so move you each of you, to love Christ and the body, the church, in more tangible ways each day. We pray that the word would take grip, grip you. And if you are loving the body and serving the body faithfully, I pray that the word would grip you even more, to excel even more. Now, I looked at different commentaries. Some have found seven. I found eight. Maybe, maybe the seven is right. But I think the Lord gives here eight tangible ways for you to love Christ and the body. And Paul's closing remarks in this letter. Paul says, basically, if you are going to make it, Corinth, as a church, you need to be displaying these eight ways in truth. Or you will, be end, you will end up destroying yourselves as a church. And he starts off number one. Notice in verse 15a, just this portion. I urge you brethren but that you know the household of Stephanus. That they were the first fruits of Achaia. First, the church of God is marked. Its love is expressed first. By giving the gospel. So number one, give the gospel. He says, now I urge you, brethren, you know, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia. This speaks of evangelism. Notice Stephanus was the first fruits. The household of Stephanus was some of the first new believers to receive the gospel in Corinth. If you recall, when we were in Acts and we were preaching through Acts, in Acts chapter 17, Paul would preach the gospel first to Jews and the Jews would reject him. And as many times that they would reject him, Paul says, okay, I go to the Gentiles. And as he was preaching to the Gentiles, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Stephanus was one of the only folks he actually baptized personally in Corinth. The word there for first fruits, as we have seen in other places, it's the first of the crop to be received that was ready for harvest. And to Paul, Stephanus was the first of many. And so since giving the gospel, notice it's tied in verse 14. Everything is going to be tied to verse 14. He says, let all be done in love. 
Brothers and sisters, love, true, biblical, Christ-saturated, word-treasuring, fellowship-loving, always expresses itself in evangelism. you You might sit there and say, how is that connected? Brothers and sisters, this tangible love is expressed, of course, to unbelievers first. Outside the church. We know that church is not a building. The church is a people of God. So love is expressed. And this, co- this comes from an understanding of biblical truth to see what is not seen visibly. Unbelievers think this world is going to continue the way it's going to be. We know that there's an end to this history. We understand if you are a believer that there's a reality of heaven and hell. You understand the joys and the blessing of forgiveness in Christ. And you understand the despair and the hopelessness of an eternity of punishment for rejection of Christ. Brothers and sisters, evangelism is the brave looking unto what Christ has said, believing it and telling others regardless of the response. I will do this because of love. I will do this because of what Christ has done in my heart. He has forgiven me. Oh, how could I not want it for you? And let me press this further, brothers and sisters. You say you love Jesus. You say you love Jesus, then why don't you tell someone? I have to press it further, brothers and sisters. Because if we stay in our Christian circles and not the rhythm of the church as we are in our home group and we are out in work or our sports clubs or wherever, and you are not actively searching for ways to share the gospel with folks who don't know him, at school, at work, at the gym, at sports clubs. Brothers and sisters, I have to ask the question here. Can you say you truly love Christ? If you're going about your day as if Christ never came. I'm not here to beat your head over with a bat. I'm just here to speak reality. See, what happens is if you are, if you have been touched by the love of God and you have been changed and you know the love of Christ, how can you stay silent? Oh, it is wrong when people say, I'm just going to live the gospel and they will come to Christ simply by my life. That's wrong, brothers and sisters. That's not how Stephanus was saved. That's not how anyone is saved. Hearing comes by the what? Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing the word of what? Christ, you have to open your mouth, brothers and sisters. And you have to let the results fall where it may and trust Christ. How can you truly say you love the church if you shirk its mission, brothers and sisters? How can you truly say you love your unbelieving neighbor? Just think of the logic. 
and yet care too much of how they think of you rather than their unreconciled and condemned position before God. Brothers and sisters, is it not love that would push you? Is it not love that will cast out fear? Second, it is, it's tangible. The love, this tangible love is expressed in the church. Let me show you in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, I want to just show you this text. You'll notice how love is connected with the gospel and the giving of the gospel. The church loves each other and they give the gospel to unbelievers. Paul loves the church. The church loves Paul. They all love Christ. And in this loving environment, the gospel is born, is multiplied. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, constantly bearing in mind, Paul is thanking the Lord. Bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love, of love. Of love, brothers and sisters. And steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the presence of God our Father. It is vertical. It is horizontal. Look at verse 8. For the word of the Lord is sounded forth from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia. But also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. So that we have no need to say anything. This tangible love is also expressed to Jesus. We know John says, John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And part of that is giving the gospel, brothers and sisters. If I just belabor the point, and if you would just bear with me, love gives the gospel. Love gives the gospel. And I've noticed, even in ministry for so long, it's not anyone forcing another person, kicking them in the spiritual behind to get sharing the gospel. We have to stoke them with the love of Christ, love of the body. That's what drives people to not be afraid. Do you need your love stoked again? Rekindled? Have you been discouraged? Every time you open your mouth about the gospel, you get shut down. Your friends laugh at you. Your family mocks you online. Does that happen? No, just my family. No. Does that happen? Surely it happens. You should not think you're on mission only when you feel like it, brothers and sisters. What kind of mission is that? I'm not feeling it today, so I'm not going to give the gospel. Love, hear me out. See, that's not a definition the world gives. Love gives the gospel. That God has created you to glorify and image his glory in your heart, in your mind, in your deeds, in your thoughts. And we have sinned against him. Adam, our father, and us, we have sinned against him and we have been separated from him. We would have no hope if he left us to ourselves. And he gave his son, co-equal with the father, putting on flesh to live the holy life for us, to die the death, to be resurrected, 
and ascended. And the Bible says today, if you have faith and repent of your sins, you will be saved. Where is the shame in that, brothers and sisters? That's nothing but love. Oh, I don't want to offend my neighbor. Oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Oh, brothers and sisters, there's too much at stake. Biblical love gives the gospel. Secondly, there's the next one is to serve the body. Serve the body. Look at verses 15 and B. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas. They were the first fruits of Achaia and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. Oh, I love that. I love that verse. Stephanus and his whole household. Did you notice? They were a household who said, hey, mom, dad, kids, servants probably. They all got together and said, let's do this. Let's dedicate our lives to service. The word there. To devote means to determine, to fix themselves. Their whole household determined to do it. It was like Joshua when he said, as for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. It was a resolve. We're not going to compromise. We're going to keep the Lord's day the Lord's day. We're going to serve where we can. We're going to help where we can. We're going to be devoted. Stephanus and his family said, let's do this by God's grace. They said, my life will be fixed on serving believers. It's interesting, isn't it? There, quite clearly you see that there's this corporate life. Some kind of membership there, you know that it's there. Why? Because how could you tell who the saints were? The saints, of course, were those who trusted in Christ. They're not people who got saved later on and did miracles after their death. A saint is someone who is simply separated, set apart because Christ has saved them. And now he says here, my life will be fixed on serving believers. It's interesting. The saints, the preponderance of service, brothers and sisters, of service in the New Testament, ministry in the New Testament, the word there for ministry is where we get the word for deacon, right? The preponderance of its use is to believers. Did you know? guys know that? And I do have to say this, brothers and sisters. Folks who resist this and call themselves believers and say, well, this is what I get sometimes because when they hear I'm a pastor, they'll say, why aren't you serving the world, serving the community? And I would say, we are trying our best by God's grace. But a lot of times they have either never been taught the importance of serving the church. How clearly it is here in scripture of serving the church. And I notice that folks, when I say, well, the Bible really prioritizes us to serve the church. And for the church to be the church. And as the church is the church, it serves as a credible witness to the world. But they say stuff like, I can serve God anywhere. I don't want to be confined by the church. And what I've noticed in ministry that oftentimes it's these folks who have either never been taught about the importance of serving in the local church or 
Number two, they just don't like authority. They just don't want anyone telling them what to do. Or they don't want accountability. It is when a body is most devoted to serving each other that it becomes this credible witness to the world. Why do they love each other like this? Well, let me tell you. I can't tell you how many times, do you remember in our sending church, there'd be unbelievers who would come to weddings and they would say, where did you get this caterer? And we're like, caterer? We ain't got money for no caterer. This is the church. They just love each other. But they're giving up their Saturday, as we should, because we love each other. And they go, huh, I want to go to this church. When do you guys meet? 1030. And that's when they would come. Because what they will know you are my disciples by your love for what? One another, right? And then we get to speak the gospel. So here's by application, brothers and sisters, if you are a member of this church or desire to be a member, let us know. But if you are a member of this church, speak to Ty or Dre. They got lots of work for you. Say, I'm going to serve. I want to serve in this way and be faithful to it. Don't even care about who's watching you. Do it for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we serve one another, we actually serve Christ. So, biblical love gives the gospel. Biblical love serves the body. Biblical love submits to each other. So, number three, submit to each other. Notice verse 16. That you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. Verse 16, this speaks of submission. Now, this submission, it says, to such men, of course, that's to the leaders, and to everyone, that would be to each other, as God has defined. Subjection means to obey or to submit, to bring under control, and it is not someone who is not equal with the other person. In other words, I am not submitting to someone or a leader or a wife is not submitting to her husband because they are better than me, because they are closer to God than me. I am simply submitting under the order by which God himself has given. And notice it is a result of spirit living He says in Ephesians chapter 5, would you go with me in Ephesians chapter 5? Everybody submits. I ain't submitting to anybody. That's what the world says. I don't want anyone telling me what to do, brothers and sisters. That's chaos. And the Bible tells us that all submission comes as we submit ourselves to God. But you notice in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we know this famous verse says, Do not get drunk with wine, that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. With your heart, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And in verse 21, it says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And here, in that sentence, this includes everyone. Everyone has someone to submit to. When, as even Jesus himself submitted to God the Father, though he be co-equal. Everyone has someone to submit to. Notice verse 21 says, submission to one another. Look at verse 21b. There's a submission and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. There's a submission to Christ. This is what it's talking about. 
the structure that God has given us. Notice verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is wives submitting themselves to their husbands. Trusting in the Lord. Knowing that being motivated by Christ. Husbands submitting to Christ in verse 23. He says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Children submitting submitting to their parents in chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Servants to masters or employees to employers, verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart. As to Christ, you're ultimately submitting to Christ. So the Bible is saying that people who truly love Christ and the body are not out to get theirs. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's my rights. That's my rights. I'm going to get mine. No. One commentator put it this way. Christ's people are not to fight for their own rights, their privileges and respect, but are to seek out and follow those to whom they can submit in Christ, who can be their teachers and examples. True love brings true submission. Did you hear that? True submission would by itself save countless conflicts, squabbles, and hard and hurt feelings within God's family. It would make his children both happier and more productive in their father's work. The loving wife submits to her husband. The loving husband submits to Christ. The loving child submits to parents. The loving congregate submits to elders. The loving employee submits to employers. So biblical love, we are having this picture of how does this look in the, in the scriptures We know how it is defined, but now how is this applied? Biblical love gives the gospel. It is a people who are so in love with Christ, so in love with the gospel that they can't help but do efforts to make it go forth. Biblical love gives the gospel. Biblical love serves the body. Biblical love submits to each other. Biblical love shares your life. So number four is share your life. What do you mean share your life? Notice in verse 17 and 18 it says, I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. The sharing of life speaks of a friendship. It speaks of companionship. It speaks of camaraderie. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, I think we need to kind of pause and slow down here. Sometimes it's not even something that you do. It's just you simply being there. Rejoicing when those with those who what? Rejoice. Weeping with those who what? Weep. 
It's not even you having this big theological understanding in the back of your head, being able to explain all of the sovereignty of God and, and the responsibility of man or the, or the limited atonement of, uh, that Christ paid for on the cross. It's not even that. It's just being there. Just being there. It's a togetherness. They've refreshed my spirit and yours. What are you talking about, Paul? Didn't you encourage them? Didn't you share the gospel? Didn't you disciple them? Yes, but since they were here, they were with me. I'm refreshed. I could keep going. Just being there, sharing your life. Sometimes the most refreshing thing you can do is just to be there. Sometimes we even mess it up if we open our mouth. (laughs) This is truly a mark of love. Why? Because you're giving up your time and your energy simply to be someone's companion. There is comfort that can be received even without words, brothers and sisters. Why do you think Jesus says, and lo, I am what? with you even to the end of the age. It's also healthy in our battle with sin. In the body, just being with, just being with, prevents falling into sin. Stymies discouragement. It clarifies wrong views of someone. You may have been suspicious of somebody. Why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? And they never meant to be like that. You get mad at someone for no reason. But as soon as you stop meeting, your own heart becomes susceptible. Uh, We were at at youth group, uh, Crew 412. And it's supposed to be for the junior high and high school, correct? That's what it's supposed to be for. But me and Mike, I mean, I was with Mike, and it goes, I'm just so encouraged that people are singing to the Lord and loving Christ. I said, me too. Man, to hear the kids sing. They love the Lord. They want to be with each other. They love Christ. This is supposed to be for them. And Mike's Mike's all like, already crying like "Ah." we're refreshed you didn't even teach it was Ty you were just there we were just together in the mountains and the valleys of this Christian life be with each other in the graduations in the despair, in the weddings, in the horrid breakups of marriages, in the the joy of the new job, in the losing of a loved one. Oh, saints, how you can encourage simply by being there. Is that not love? 
Next, honor your leaders. Honor your leaders. Verse 18 says, Therefore acknowledge such men. This speaks of respect. Acknowledge means to recognize something for what it truly is. This is not, we're not saying, okay, let's have a plaque every time you see this person. Let's have a plaque and their name on it. It's simply an appreciation of folks serving and leading the church. In Corinth, they were too focused on their own status before others. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. They were arrogant. The Apostle John even said of a congregant of Corinth in 3 John, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. So this is John even saying, there's a guy in your church who doesn't even respect us as elders. The ones taking the hits. In his model, in Christ's model, as Christ raises leaders from the body because of their fidelity to right doctrine, because of their fidelity to Christ and to godly character and the church, we should recognize them as such. Paul told the church in Philippi to recognize Epaphroditus. In Ephesians, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2 says, For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him all only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him with all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Now leaders should not be seeking appreciation. (laughs) But we should give it. We are to submit and we are to respect. Look at this verse in Hebrews chapter 13. I think it's worth looking at. Look at this text. I don't think you could get any more clearer. Hebrews chapter 13. This is Bible. He says in 13 verse 17 there. How do you honor your leaders? We'll see. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now let me give this caveat, okay? What if they tell you to sin? Of course not. Then they're not qualified to be a leader. Oh, oh, oh. You always have a loophole already. Of course not. They shouldn't be leaders. But here's, the, here's what the Bible says. If they're godly men, they are not perfect, but they're godly men trying to lead you to Christ and protect you. And strengthen you in Christ. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls. This is why. They're the ones who are carrying the burden. As those who will give an account. Why? Because they know that at the end of the day. How the body and the health of the body is. It's going to lean on them. 
What did you do? What did you not do? Why, do they, why are they always asking me these things? Why are they in my business? Because it's our responsibility. And you committed to it. That's why. Let them do this with joy, the Bible says, and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. Let the body rejoice in godly leadership. Let us submit in joy. And I, I had to learn this as a young man, a fiery young man who had a hard time taking orders. I had to learn it too. And as I grew, I started to see it as an opportunity to glorify Christ. That is my opportunity. I could glorify him because that's what the text says, doesn't it? And then it's so that it would not be unprofitable for you. So give love, biblical love, gives the gospel, serves the body, submits to each other, shares their lives or your life, honors your leaders. Number six, opens your home. Opens your home. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Open your home. Open your home. He says, the churches of Asia greet you. Verse 19. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 19. (laughs) The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church, notice, that is in their home. A church is not a building as we know. A church only meets in a building. The church is the people of God. All the brethren greet you. This speaks of hospitality. Brothers and sisters, love is hospitable. Love opens the home. Love shares the cup of coffee. Love goes out and meets with people. Love shares a sandwich when the other person doesn't have one. Love opens the home. Prisca and Aquila were devoted to the church and the gospel and to Christ and to Paul. They opened their home to unbelievers so that the gospel can go forth. They opened their home to believers so that the gospel can go forth. They opened their home for training to occur. That's where Paul trained people. All because someone opened their home. They opened their home for teachers who would come and go that they didn't know. They opened their home for ministry itself. We know that the term for hospitality is philoxenos. It is a lover of strangers. Prisca and Aquila were thoroughly used of God by this mark of hospitality that is indeed Christian love. Biblical love gives the gospel, 
Biblical love serves the body. Biblical love submits to each other. Biblical love shares your life, honors your leaders, and opens your home. Sometimes it requires planning. Brothers and sisters, you can get together and say, hey, let's plan on this again. Or even young men, I see. Hey, let's go invite this one person out. Let's go talk to them. Oh, we, we need to be a church more and more like that. Amen. How about this? Next, number seven. Biblical love expresses deep affection. Look at verse 20 and verse B. Twenty, verse B. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I have seen this verse abused. This is not a pickup line for young Christian men, okay? (laughs) Bible says, greet me with a kiss. Or, you know, this is not. Throw that away, okay? What this speaks of is affection. We ought to be a people of affection. Our doctrine ought ought not be so dry and so exact that we have no more affection and no more love for one another. This kiss was probably on the cheek or the forehead. It would be like a hug in our culture. This is the warmth of your doctrine. This is a big handshake or this is an awkward side hug, but we do it anyways, right? It's welcoming folks in. Well, I didn't grow up like that. Well, you can change by God's grace. Well, I'm not a touchy person. You can change by God's grace. Why? Because we ought to be a people who express deep affection for each other. I actually don't think churches do it enough. Of course, you have to be careful with certain things, but we need to be expressing love to one another. It brings warmth to our doctrine, doesn't it? It brings warmth to what we say we believe. And lastly, as we are closing, hold the line. Hold the line. Verses 21 to 24. Now he's ending this letter and he says, the greeting is in my own hand. It's probably, he was using an amuensis, someone who was writing the letter for him. And in that last portion, maybe he signed it. Or in that last portion, maybe he signed it and wrote the postscript. You know, all of these eight examples or ways of expressing love. But verses 22 to 24 speaks of steadfastness. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha. Wow, that is pretty strong there, Paul. Um, I don't know any church greeting who says that, you know, right away. Welcome. If anyone does not love the Lord, he's to be accursed. Maranatha. That's like, wow, Paul, you're going to bring that up right away. That's not seeker sensitive of you. (laughs) And so what he uses is this term for love is phileo. This is this tender affection to Christ. It's not even agape, which is that supreme love, the love that loves the object regardless of whether or not they receive 
any benefits. It's just, do you even have this tender affection toward Christ? If you don't even have this minimal affection to Christ, then you can't have agape to Christ. And if you don't have agape for Christ, and that means you don't even love him and you're not part of him. You're not a Christian. You're not part of the body. It's interesting. He writes it to the church in Corinth, knowing there are folks listening who have come into the membership and they're not even saved. It's interesting, isn't it? If he doesn't have a love. Notice, he doesn't say, if he doesn't have all your doctrinal I's and T, I's dotted and T's crossed. Is as, as important as that is. Do you even have a love for Christ? It's not abstract. It's not ideas. You're not saved by ideas. You're saved by a person. Ideas didn't die on the cross for you. Christ died on the cross for you. And he says, if you reject it, you're anathema, accursed, devoted to destruction. Brothers and sisters, true biblical love would be affectionate, would be welcoming, but will hold the line. They will tell people of their sin, and they will not leave them there. They will move on to the next verses, verses 23 and 24. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Turn to Christ, they would say. So why does Maranatha in there? I, I often wonder, why is that there? They're cursed. Maranatha. What, what in the world does that mean? Maranatha means, I think it means that Lord come and take away false Christians from the church because they're truly a threat. And it's an invitation to the unsaved churchgoers to turn to Christ before he comes and takes them away. And they have no more opportunity to trust him. And then, of course, as you hold the line, there are the saints and the ain'ts. If they don't trust in Christ, I have to let you know you're a curse. But also, if you do trust in Christ, the grace of the Lord be with you. And then he finishes with verse 14. The same theme of verse 14. The same theme of chapter 13. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus because that's what it's all about. So even as we end in 1 Corinthians, brothers and sisters, biblical love, let Christ define that love is that which gives the gospel, that is evangelism, is that which serves the body, that is service, is that which submits to each other, which is submission, is that which shares your life, which is companionship, is that which honors leaders, which is respect? Is that which opens your home, which is hospitality? Is that which expresses deep affection, which is, of course, affection? And is that which holds the line, which is steadfastness in the gospel? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help us to be even more of a loving church. We pray. Help us to sing in Jesus' name. Amen.